Checkmate. Chalmers caught lying for cashless agenda. Time for Anzacs to unite against war. The Assange flank against World War III and the economic NATO plan to isolate China. Coming up on today's Citizens Report. Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 16th of June 2023. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robbie Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the plan to phase out checks as the latest in the anti-cash agenda. And then we'll talk about uh, the latest war provocations and how AUKUS is uh, an increasing, and a certain ANZAC alliance are an increasing role in those war uh, provocations. Now, don't forget to hit the like button if you get something out of this show that'll help circulate it more widely. Subscribe and also you can ring the notifications bell and you'll be alerted to new material going up. Share this as widely as you can and if you're able to support everything we're doing, you can uh, find a link below to donate as well. Uh, before we begin, Melissa, I just wanted to update people on a couple of items. One is we put out a release this week, um, and we'll do a little video later, about the Katie Gallagher, Brittany Higgins uh, scandal, and we highlighted an aspect that no one else is going to, which is this question over the way Katie Gallagher as the finance minister approved the uh, $2.5 million to $3 million compensation for Brittany Higgins, which apparently is... I mean, it's being ridiculed, but I don't want to get into that side of it. It's for 40 years um, of lost earnings or whatever her career. Anyway, whatever that is. But the finance minister has the power to do this, except we now know that Brittany Higgins' partner is a friend of Katie Gallagher. And contrast that to the Sterling First victims in Western Australia. Because we got involved in that campaign, and there's a timeline in our press release, um, which we'll put online. We got, we got involved in that campaign in 2021. Melissa Harrison from my office wrote a series of excellent articles on it. We were working closely with Denise Braley and it became clear that their circumstances were such, you got about 130 elderly people. Um, all they, they were not investors. All they thought was they were paying rent in advance for the rest of their life. And ASIC sat by knowing that there were complaints it was receiving about this scheme and did nothing and said nothing to the to the participants to warn them, um, knowing they were elderly and vulnerable, right? And so when it finally collapsed in 2019, between them they've lost about $8.5 million, and they all face eviction and homelessness. Mm. And under those circumstances, we arrived at the conclusion that the, the only solution here is the government must compensate these people to keep them in their homes. And the finance... Minister has extraordinary powers. She can write, she can make an act of grace payment without the Commonwealth even accepting liability. Just do it, keep mm. them in their homes. And the Labor Party before the election mm. was all over the Sterling First victims. Uh, Stephen Jones, the, the uh, Financial Services Minister, or, or then the Shadow Financial Services Minister, went over and met them. And um, he, he said two things. He said, no government could commit to compensating you like that. Mm. 
but we will include you in the compensation scheme of last resort. Since they got elected, he has broken his promise to include them in the compensation scheme of last resort, and Katie Gallagher has shown that her powers as finance minister to, to compensate people are extraordinary, yeah. right? So bo on both counts, it was a lie. And we're highlighting that because Beryl Taylor, who I interviewed um, back in 2021 as one of the victims, in a couple of weeks, she and her husband Ray will face court as a last-ditch effort to save their house because they've done everything right. They paid all this money in advance, um, but it's being taken away from them, right? So I just wanted to highlight that. Second one, please indulge me, I have a rant. We're going to play a clip. <laughs> Sorry, producer, I forgot to warn you of this one. 60 Minutes on mm. Sunday night. So this is Saturday. Hopefully you're one of those people who watch our show Saturday night, but 60 Minutes is on Sunday night. And they're running this preview... For their show. Don't just, bother watching it. Just have a quick look at the preview. I would never, ever in a month of Sundays use that kind of language. It upsets me hearing it again. Australians being targeted. And I didn't realise that they were going to have me arrested as a terror suspect. For speaking out against China. If you talk about Taiwan independence, it's a crime. It's a violation of the One China policy. On 60 Minutes. Terminate her. The method doesn't matter. I always am looking out of my shoulder. This is your home, Vanessa. This is your country. The bizarre bullying you won't believe. I'm going to beep your mother, rape your wife, kill your kids. Plus... Beijing's latest plans. The network that you describe, it's a secret police. The Chinese authorities list at least two police stations in Australia. To silence dissent. You've not been invited into these countries. At any cost. I hope we will call a spade a spade and do not get emotional. Sunday on 9 and 9 now. All right. Now, Lisa, that is a steaming... This, show, this story mm -hmm. by 60 Minutes will be a steaming pile of garbage. And I tweeted that the other day. I just want to mention a few things about it. And we'll put, we'll put links below to the last one. The three people you see there, I know them directly. They are all liars. Every single one of them are liars. Drew Pavlou is a, an absolute pest. He's a total sinophobe. The proof of how bad this kid is, the, the China haters in Parliament build him up all the time. The China hating media build him up all the time. But do you know what? All those China haters in Parliament that are in the Liberal Party and the National Party and all these other, One Nation, etc., none of them will work with him in their parties. He had to go start his own party because he's an insufferable turd, an absolute utter turd. Nobody could stand the, 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 this guy, absolutely nobody. But because he's like the Tassie devil, Warner Brothers Tassie devil, that he's so bitter and twisted in his utter hatred of China and Australian Chinese people who don't hate China... They can wind him up and he goes crazy mm. and they, they publicise it, right? And now he's claiming he's the victim, he and his mum are the victims of death threats. Yet on Twitter, 90% of people are anonymous. Anybody could make these death threats up. That's us. I can tell you, I don't believe a word of that. I mean, I'm sure the threats have come in, but don't believe they're legitimate threats. The second person is a total creep who once tried to... Um, Pal up to me, chum up to me, uh, Andrew Phelan from the, the guy, the, the, the white guy who's crying there. Um, uh, I've, I've had dealings with him. He's one of these people who's like, um, uh, uh, he, he's like the, the white guy who says, oh, I really love China, as long as China acts like we white countries act. And, and they, they had, there was this narrative that assumed that if we do all this business with China and they, they grew economically, they'll become like us. 
Well, China didn't become like us because it didn't want to give up its sovereignty and all those sort of things, right? And now they've turned on and they've hated, they hate it. But I have direct experience with that guy. And the Chinese guy, Buddha Chow, um, in 2022, last year, he was on the project claiming that his life's under threat and he was being interviewed by Waleed Ali and, and, and Waleed Ali saying, boy, you, 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 you've got real security concerns, aren't you? Even the precautions we had to take for this interview were extraordinary. We weren't allowed to know where you were just before doing the interview. It said, oh, yeah, yeah, this is really serious. And I kid you not, literally the next day or the day after, I can't remember now, that same week, Richard Barden and I from the office went to that event where I was accused of being a stalker because I asked that girl from Aspie, Vicky Shu, a question. When we turned up, the dark end of Collins Street, that guy was walking down the street, bold as brass, on his own, in the dark, not a care in the world. No security. (laughs) Not a care in the world. It is a scam, an utter scam. And they brought in one of the most, I mean, Tara Reid, sorry, she's the, um, she shouldn't even be a journalist anymore. She's the one that did this ridiculous story where 60 Minutes is such a sensationalised thing now. Back, I remember back when 60 Minutes was the gold standard mm. of journalism in Australia. George Negus, Ray Martin, Yarn Event, mm. those guys, right? Yeah. Way back then, back in the 80s. They were out there and it was, the, it was the show of the week. Now it's this sensational vomit. Mm. Um, and they did things like a few years ago, Tara Reid actually headed a story where they tried to abduct children for the, for the sensational... Um, so aspects of their story, right? It's all just silly, silly, silly stuff. Don't believe a word of it. But I'm raising it now because if you watched last week's show, Richard Barden went through why Channel 9 is doing this, mm-hmm. right? This is a warmongering media now. So, all right. Yeah, we're, we're going to get, we're back, get back to the, agenda, the broader war agenda that that forms a part of in a moment. But yeah. a quick uh, update first on our big campaign over the last several years, which is to stop the cashless society going forward. Checkmate, Chalmers caught lying for cashless agenda. So we put out a media release this week on the 15th of June. Chalmers is phasing out checks based on Anna Bly's lies. So give us a quick rundown of what this one's about. We, we, we touched on this last week as well, Elisa, because um, checks are not cash. In fact, in fact, checks are cashless technically, right? Mm. But Checks are a very long-standing part of the financial and system. And they're specifically non-digital. They're non-digital, right? Um, and um, so Chalmers goes there to this banking event and he goes, we're going to phase out checks by uh, 2030 because, we, uh, because we're going to modernise the financial system, he says. We said, he said, quote, we know that usage of checks has been declining. This is largely because digital transactions are easier, cheaper and more accessible. In fact, 98% of retail checks could could be serviced through internet or mobile banking. Anyway, we asked around and got some feedback on this, right? And the thing is, so there's a couple of aspects. Like with bank branches, yes, they're used less, but they are still used and are still very important to the people who use them, mm. right? And, and there's two categories. So um, the further you are out of the city, where there's less digital coverage, right, less, um, you know, mobile coverage, et cetera, and internet coverage. Um, if you're, just say you're a supplier to a grazier who's a whole day's drive, you know, one way and back, mm. right? And is that, that grazier does not want to sit on, now that grazier, we know from the, from the Con Curry hearing, is often in a place where he won't have any internet, mm. right? Or if he has internet, it's really intermittent, it drops out badly. 
So you've got no confidence you can go there and he can do a bank transfer for you from that site. You've just got no confidence at all. So what are these two options? Well, one option is cash, except, uh, you know, graziers, farming enterprises, agribusinesses, what they pay suppliers is a lot of money. These are big bills, right? Hundreds of thousands of dollars for things. So do you want graziers sitting on vast amounts of cash out there? Which they, other... they do need access to banks to replenish cash. Exactly, exactly. So what, what, what happens? And what has always happened? The supply goes out there, drops off the goods, picks up a cheque. The goods are delivered, the grazier's happy, the supplier's happy, he gets to take that back, right? And that is still common out there. But what I noticed was um, when these figures are presented by at these events like this banking conference last week, the Banking Association produces the figures. And that's this thing that Anna Bly, these are the lobbyists for the banks. Anna Bly, the former Labor Premier of Queensland, who Chalmers calls his close confidant, is the CEO of the Banking Association. And she's become a total cheerleader for the cashless society, right? The banks want to force us in this direction. And this is another example where they're actually not letting the market just let checks peter out. They're going to force it. You know why? Because check use is not declining. Mm -hmm. And the giveaway is they only produce statistics which show usage as a percentage of the whole. So checks are 0.2% of all transactions apparently now. In 2007, they were 1% of all transactions. And so that looks like a decline, 1% down to 0.2%. Except, we'll put this graph on the screen, that graph there is the ABA's, I had to go digging in the ABA's website for this, that's their own graph of the growth in transactions. And what you see, look at January 07, which is where the, um, we'll put up the, uh, we'll put up the graph of the, from the ABC showing the, the decline of check use, right, as, as, as a percentage, and then bring this graph back up. So January 07 is when check use was 1% of all, trans all payments. Um, you've got to add the two lines together, the dark blue and the light blue, because one is credit transact using your credit card and one is debit transactions, right? And basically, they add up to, I've got it here, back in the total number of transactions per month, these are monthly figures, in 2007 was 230 million transactions in Australia per month. But look what's happened now. There's been an absolute explosion in transactions so that by the end of 2022, it was 1.188 billion transactions per month. And part of that is population growth, but most of it is just the more this technology has come on, the more apps there are, etc. and young people are you know, um, not using cash, you know, because they're, they're conditioned not to, mm -hmm. right? The ABC did, the, I think I might have mentioned the other week, the ABC did this story recently written by this young journalist about cash stuffing, how she tried to use cash for a while. And she said she didn't like it, even though she saved money. She said, because when I tried to spend cash, I felt like a criminal. <laughs> That's how much the culture has changed. These young people are, tap, are waving around their cards and phones like there's no tomorrow. Tap, 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 tap. You didn't used to do that. So there's been an explosion in transactions, Right. And therefore, the percentage is irrelevant because the absolute number of checks being written per month has held steady mm -hmm. since 2007. It's actually gone up. In 2007, 1% of 230 million transactions was 2.3 million checks a month. And in 2022, 0.2% .2 of 1.2 billion transactions was 2.37 million checks per month. And... 
That is a, so that what that shows you is check use is not declining. Mm-hmm. They are lying. Yep. Now I have one more rant though because this is really pernicious. The same ABA figures tried to do the same trick on bank branches and they produced this stat. This is a totally meaningless stat. They said bank branches bank visits branch visits account for 0.7% of all banking interactions. Zero point, and I'm looking at that. I'm oh, thinking zero point seven percent. Now, even the banks will say that seven percent. ANZ claims that seven percent of its transactions are at are, um, its transactions, transactions. Are, are in a bank. Yeah. The ABA produces figure of interactions, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing. And again, same as the graph that we showed. You've got such a dramatic increase. There's an explosion in these because everyone's got these apps now. Hmm. Once upon a time, to check your balance, you either had to look at your passbook or think if. Uh, have I, I was going, someone was going to transfer money to me. I have to go to the bank and check that balance. Now you can check it on your phone. Mm. We know someone who works for a fast food joint <laughs> who, when waiting for their pay, will often check their balance mm. multiple times a day, right? This is all frivolous stuff. There's a lot of frivolous things happen on phone banking apps, whereas bank visits are never frivolous. Yet these utter lying bastards at the Australian Banking Association and deliberately producing ridiculous, meaningless, distorted statistics like interactions to undermine the, equivalent, the, the importance of bank branches, mm. right? And they are the people that Chalmers has taken his information from to unilaterally decree, decree oh, check use is declining, we're going to get rid of them. And if he's, if he's prepared to do that, he will do the same thing eventually with cash mm. or try to. Yeah. All right, now on to the next rant. <laughs> um, time for Anzacs to unite against war. Now, we want to talk about actually a growing uh, opposition to AUKUS, uh, both in Australia and New Zealand, but this is coming amid a really stark push to recruit Australia and New Zealand to being the, um, the spear edge the the spearhead of war in the pacific region war against china um you know with using taiwan in the place of how ukraine's being used not not to be too not to be too controversial elisa but essentially nothing's changed since 1915 when the british organized the storming of gallipoli to put the australians and new zealanders Mm -hmm. in the most harm's way While the, British were further, while the British were further down the beach. And we copped the brunt of that. And we were stupid enough to cop the brunt of that. Mm-hmm. No, no, no reflection on the, on the bravery of the soldiers, but it was, na- it was an insanity that both of our countries were gripped by to even put ourselves in that position to mm-hmm. do that. And a lot of those soldiers, you know, came home from that war, very anti-war and anti-British, and were treated badly, but they never changed their opinion on that. They're trying to do the same thing now Mm -hmm. by pushing us on the front line against China. Now, uh, this time last week, last Friday, the inquiry which is looking at the amendment to the legislation um, that prohibits nuclear power in Australia to allow these AUKUS nuclear-powered subs to come to our shores made its um, report back on its findings and they basically both major parties said the bill should be passed without delay, right? So they will change this legislation to allow us to um, go all in with this war plan, not to um, have nuclear energy to benefit the nation. 
Um, even despite quite massive opposition, uh, there were 117 published submissions into the inquiry. There were many, many more that were not published, which we're still seeking information on how many that might have been. But out of those published ones, 11, only 11% supported the amendments, 76% opposed, and there were 13% that raised concerns of one kind or another. They weren't explicitly for or against, but if they raise concerns, then they're not all in with it, that's for sure. So and that's an overwhelming percentage opposing, and, essentially. Yeah, and, and as you said, just the published ones. I got my notification last night that mine wouldn't be published, right. just accepted as correspondence. So there's, that was a proper submission. Yeah, there there is potentially, well, there's at least hundreds and potentially thousands of people flooded this, as we called for, mm. flooded this um, inquiry with short submissions, but very pointed mm. submissions, and they're accepting, they're just putting most of them as correspondence. Now, even within the Labor Party itself, which is pushing this, um, the Queensland Labor Party conference rejected a motion recently congratulating Albanese and his government for investing in AUKUS. So there was a motion put up to congratulate him and it was rejected 229 to 140. Smashed. And in Victoria, uh, tomorrow the State Labor Party Conference begins and there will be two motions tabled to actually condemn AUKUS and to condemn the government, their own government, their own party on AUKUS, uh, one of which will be moved by the Australian Manufacturers Workers Union which they're both considered to be likely to pass, and this is in the context of wrangling over what's in the party platform about AUKUS. Now, uh, also regarding the Federal Labor Party conference, which will be coming up, um, the AFR reported that sources said that former New South Wales Premier and AUKUS critic Bob Carr had been busy behind the scenes in the lead-up to the national conference where AUKUS will be the most significant point of dissent among the rank and file. So this is really uh, very important developments. Now, we want to talk about developments in New Zealand because even though New Zealand's not part of AUKUS, um, Kurt Campbell, who is Biden's um, Asia guy, Asia Saar, uh, he's, well, Jacinda Ardern, when she was Prime Minister, met with him in May of last year, so around about a year ago, and he's just been in New Zealand for a visit in March. And basically, without any debate... New Zealand has effectively signed up to his proposal, what he's calling a non-nuclear AUKUS Pillar 2. And it has, they have to put it in non-nuclear terms because New Zealand has legislation passed in 1987 which uh, explicitly prevents them from any form of nuclear... New Zealand, New Zealand is very serious about nuclear disarmament and yes. it effectively dropped out of ANZUS yeah. in the 80s because they refused to let American warships nuclear-powered warships come to New Zealand. And they didn't care that they dropped out of ANZUS. This was, this was something they felt was very important to them and they, they asserted that position, their own sovereignty. Now, they are part of the five eyes, um, yeah. United Kingdom, United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, but there's a joke that in the five eyes, <laughs> New Zealand is the one that's blink, that's winking, right? <laughs> because they're not... They're, but not the intelligence committed. agencies are trying to... The, the New Zealand intelligence agencies, who are more yeah. loyal to the Five Eyes than the state of New Zealand, are trying to bring them back into the fold. Well, as well as AUKUS Pillar 2, um, New Zealand has also effectively joined what's known as AP4, which is the Asia-Pacific 4 in alignment with NATO. 
So that's Australia, New Zealand, South Korea and Japan. And we'll come back to talk a bit more about expansions of NATO in a moment. Um, but so there's these two things. And um, Matt Robson, who's the former Associate Foreign Minister and Minister for Disarmament and Arms Control from New Zealand, had a piece, and you can read more about this in the Australian Alert I Service. I interviewed Matt That's right. on some of these issues last year. This is, mm. this, is a, uh, this is an update on them. Yeah, he said that it appears that a deal has been done on both AUKUS Pillar 2 and its greater integration with AP4, all without any debate. Uh, he called this the greatest betrayal, New Zealand's total integration into nuclear-armed NATO, participation in the containment strategy of China as part of the NATO-Pacific strategy and as part of Pillar 2 AUKUS with cybersecurity, etc., as part of the excuse. Those were his words. Now, just... Uh, a little over a week after um, Kirk Campbell was there in New Zealand, the New Zealand Defence Minister Andrew Little met with our Defence Minister Richard Miles uh, and Miles talked about, said this meeting was about alignment between Australia and New Zealand. Little described it uh, as setting up a seamless sort of interoperability. So this is, can I just, this is us, this is Australia being a Trojan horse to break down New Zealand's op- New Z- the New Zealand public and institutional opposition to being part of nuclear-powered structures because um, if, if the New Zealand government said tomorrow we're joining NATO, the mm-hmm. New Zealand public will crack up. So they can't do that. They go and visit NATO and do all, all those sort of things. But they're, they're saying we're going to become seamlessly interoperable with Australia. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Australia has become seamlessly interoperable with the United States and the NATO apparatus yeah. and New Zealand. And before the Kiwis know it, they're going to be part of it. So around that same time of that meeting between Miles and Little, and you probably didn't hear about this at all, but in April there was a new agreement between the two militaries that was signed called Plan Anzac. And so this was also just ahead of the visit of the new Prime Minister of New Zealand, Chris Hipkins, to Australia, um, at which time a really interesting thing happened mm. because, uh, remember, the talk had been that Albanese was not going to go to the NATO summit in Lithuania in July. Well, and he was citing his busy schedule and things. You know, this was the talk. But at the same time, um, Hipkins had been saying exactly the same thing, that he wasn't planning to go to the NATO summit. I mean, we're not NATO members, so it's not like it should we're be not, assumed. We are not in the <laughs> North Atlantic. Yeah. We are on the opposite side of the world in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. So this was, they, why are they in there in the first place? Mm-hmm. Of course they shouldn't have been going. Yeah. Um, but after they met, so, so Hipkins and Albanese uh, met in April and following that weekend of discussions, they both announced that they would be going to NATO. Can I tell Elbow you, first can I, and then... all this stuff about economic coercion from China and whatever, Lisa, these politicians oh. in Canberra, in Wellington, are scared to death yeah. of the NATO Five Eyes American British apparatus. They are terrified of it. Mm. They put Both of them put up their little feelers saying, oh, we're Australian and New Zealand Prime Ministers, we're going to stay out of this. Oh, no, you will not. I can't tell you. I don't know what went behind me on behind the scenes, but I'll tell you what, someone got kneecapped, mm. right? That's how we are. We are allies. One of the hardest men in the history of Australian politics who was a prime minister at the height of the... the, the, the there were two really dangerous periods in the, in the Cold War. Malcolm Fraser was the prime minister at the height of the second one. He was a hard man. 
right? He saw it all. He called the British and the Americans our dangerous allies. They are brutal. They are ruthless. They are thugs. And we bow and scrape before them because we're scared not to, because of what happened to people like Gough Whitlam. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening in your country, people. We are under mm. someone else's thumb. Wake yeah. up. And it's not the Chinese. All they want to do is buy our stuff. Mm. That's all they want to do. Well, That's all they've ever wanted to do. We'll hear about that in a moment from a New Zealander. But, yeah, think about the same kind of uh, comments that Keating's been making on this, right? You know, that we're just bending over backwards to our Anglo-American allies. Um, but the other thing that was done in coordination between Australia and New Zealand, probably, the, the, everything yeah. points to it, are the defence reviews. You know, we've just put out this new defence review. New Zealand's just about to put out theirs. So there's been this whole, all this going on behind the scenes, as you said, to set up Australia and New Zealand again as the cannon fodder for the new war. Now, you also have a story to tell about an aspect of this in regard to the propaganda coming out of New Zealand. There's an insane McCarthyite witch hunt right now in New Zealand because Radio New Zealand, which is like ABC, they have just discovered that one of their editors was doing his job editing articles to actually make them more accurate and it was about Ukraine and Russia. And he was editing, he would just do mild things like like when they say these, these articles would be written with a total anti-Russia, pro-Ukraine bent, right, and twisting everything. So in the description of the Maidan uprising, for instance, in 2014, he, he, he called it a coup. He called it the Maidan coup, which it was. He called, he would insert, he did mild stuff. Like, so when they described the president that was overthrown as the pro-Russian president, he added the elected pro-Russian president because he was elected. They overthrew a, a democratically elected person, things like that. And this, is, this has come out and all hell has broken loose. They've now gone on a witch hunt. They've suspended this editor who actually, well, it turns out he's an Irishman who's been in New Zealand for six years, but he grew up in Northern Ireland, in Belfast, seeing the way the British run propaganda yeah. and lies, right? And so he's seeing through it. All he's doing is doing his job. And, and so not, not only have they just suspended him, they're running a witch hunt through the whole of RNZ's recent history and everything's coming out. And it's not just on New Zealand stuff now. Anything relating to, say, Israel and Palestine, where he's edited it, right? Because in, in the case of um, Gaza, he, he talked about Hamas being the elected government of Gaza, which it is. You may hate him, but it is, mm. right? Because um, when it comes to democracy... The Americans and the British and, 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 and our side only want democracy that is in their favour, right? They don't really care about democracy. Anyway, so things like that. There's a, a Cuba, um, North Korea, China. Everything is being looked at now. And the head of Radio New Zealand came out and said how he was sickened by this discovery of this pro-Kremlin garbage, right? But it's, it's become a total witch hunt. And they, apparently, from the briefing I got, because it's gone as witch hunts do, Witch hunts never focus on the issue, right? They're there to scare people. Because it's gone so much broader now than Russia and China, uh, Russia and Ukraine are dealing with this, uh, things like Palestine um, and Israel, um, people who would otherwise be Putin haters but are sympathetic to the Palestinians, they're getting caught up in it, right? And that's what witch hunts do. So this could, this could become a real t um, inflection point in the politics of New Zealand mm. because... It's an example where the Kiwis, what we're describing here is the Kiwis are being frog-marched back into the, into the Five Eyes, ANZUS 
AUKUS NATO alliance. Yeah. Right? That's what's happening. And I was just going to add, uh, Matt Robson did say there's more to come because he's getting wind of uh, indications from government ministers saying that that 1987 legislation, which is about nuclear non-proliferation, is outdated. <clears throat> so he's expecting there to be more to come on that front. Or, you know, you've got to move out of that old era, etc. Um, but now uh, we want you to meet someone... Um, <laughs> from New Zealand, and this is a reflection of the opposition, same as what we're beginning to see more of here in Australia. Well, can I, okay, I've got to, can I say this? There's one party in New Zealand that's standing up and opposing this. Mm. One party. And it's not the major parties, mm. but it's the one party that represents the people who really do care about New Zealand and its sovereignty because they fought a war against the British, one of the most genocidal wars the British ever fought, which ended in the Treaty of Waitangi because the Maori actually fought the British to a standstill mm. and ended in the Treaty of Waitangi. That's what that's New Zealand's constitution this day. And there's a Maori party, and mm. they are the only—they're a minority, mm-hmm. but they have people in Parliament. They're the only party that's standing up against this and insisting on real sovereignty for New Zealand. Mm. So this is the leader of the party. Um, his name is John Tamahere. And yeah, he's great. He says he says your nuclear submarines, talking to Australia, are not welcome, are unwelcome in our waters, and says that AUKUS is anathema to us. So listen to some excerpts of his recent interview. Um, in terms of the ANZAC tradition, uh, that's in tatters. Okay, that is historical. Uh, there is no doubt that there was great license for it when our when our people fought side by side uh, in the Boer War. First World War, Second World War, Korean War, Vietnamese War. Uh, and there was um, undoubted comradery uh, because uh, both Kiwis and uh, Aussies have a deep reverence for POMs and, uh, and, and English leadership. Where, where Australia has morphed, though, in our view, is that you've become the 51st state of the United States of America without any conversation with the Indigenous people of Australia, or indeed with your um, partners uh, in your geopolitical environment called Aotearoa New Zealand. And so the day that you continue to embark uh, on putting your trailer on um, policy frameworks led out of Washington means that you're, you're no longer a sovereign people. You're, you're now part of somebody else's conversation. We brought in our nuclear-free legislation in 1987. Uh, your nuclear submarines, your uh, nuclear-fired anything, are unwelcome in our waters. So the day that the, uh, your leadership determined to buy uh, nuclear-powered submarines, which will be nuclear-deployed and nuclear-armed, why, why would you buy these things uh, merely to go investigating how good your fishing stock are. Nothing to do with that. No negotiation, no discussion with Aotearoa New Zealand, and yet we're, we're um, in close proximity with you, but thank the Lord we've got our own sovereignty. So the Party Māori is totally opposed to a number of things. Firstly, uh, we want uh, to have a national conversation about re-seizing our sovereignty and ending uh, the crown uh, from King Charles being head of 
our constitution. It's an anathema to us. They have nothing in common with us, okay, apart from some historical baggage. And the crown is a is a symbol of uh, rape, theft, and pillage uh, on Indigenous peoples around the world. It's wealth. They call it the Commonwealth. It was not the Commonwealth. It's the wealth of the English crown that that benefit plus all that hierarchy around it. So we we have no truck for it anymore. We've grown up, okay. And so, so when you think that thing through, we want to seize back our own sovereignty. We're going to have that conversation. Uh, there's a young, vibrant generation of under forty year olds uh, in both countries, Australia and Aotearoa, that are having that conversation amongst themselves now. And so we, so so then you dial dial forward to. Well, what shapes your foreign policy? What, what, what shapes your military views of yourself? Well, surely it must be, uh, that you are a country that shares Oceania and Southeast Asia. You're not a European country, for goodness sakes. And you've got obligations, duties and responsibilities to indigenous people everywhere, including your own. So, so AUKUS is an anathema to us and in our policy which we've just released coming into our own election, which occurs on the 14th of October. Um, and we are the kingmakers in terms of our MNP politics. So uh, in the last 12 polls, the Māori Party will determine who rules. And part of our bottom line is uh, the issue of a new conversation on sovereignty with uh, getting rid of the monarchy. We want to be uh, militarily neutral, uh, we want to be the Switzerland of the South Pacific. And um, don't get me wrong, we'll still have a defence force. But we we are friends to everybody and enemies to no one. So why why force us to pick sides like all people with slant eyes and yellow skin and naughty, ugly people? Who who said that? Where's the evidence for that? And why is it that all of a sudden you have to choose sides? when you should choose your own side. And, and 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 if you're a true sovereign nation, why do you always apply that? Here's the other thing, five nations, five eyes, we've got five eyes over here solely because of um, where we are positioned on in the globe and we, we have a, a better vista of a whole range of things um, satellite-wise. We want out of that. Well, no, no, because you see, everything goes back to sovereignty. Um, all the other issues you've raised, a sidebar, to the real issue. The real issue is why? Why? Who made the case for you joining AUKUS? Who made the case for dragging us with you? No one has. So, so all the others, all the other stuff, you know, the, the outrageous cost. Why we're so going military neutrality is because we just want to look after our own economic zone. We don't want to invade anybody else's. We don't want to have a military that can make war on other continents elsewhere for other people's reasons. You know, we we just want to have a defence force that looks after our exclusive economic zone, and we're pretty happy with that. And, and if everyone was happy with that, what's the problem? Chinese actually buy things off us. They're our biggest trading partner. They've provided us with the, the best free trade agreement, even better than the Australian free trade agreement. The US and Great Britain refused to enter into free trade agreements with little old Aotearoa. 
I mean, it's a disgrace. And the worst, want us to make war on the bloody people out of Moscow and Beijing because apparently London and Washington are better. What a load of crock. And I will acknowledge, Lisa, that was on um, that interview was conducted by uh, Green Left, who we don't see eye to eye on with everything. In fact, with many things we don't. But um, it's worth mentioning at this point that I think there's lots of there's lots of issues there. You find yourself on agreement with people you, you ordinarily wouldn't be. There's probably no bigger issue than war or no war. Well, yeah. And I don't care who my political enemies are in Australia or people I don't. If we can agree that we shouldn't have a war in which we all die so we can stay alive for the debates we need to have about other issues, <laughs> I think that's the same position. Mm. So good on Green Left for doing that interview. Now, still on the war front, the Assange flank against World War <clears throat> Three. Um, now, this is really a critical flank, obviously because of the nature of what Assange exposed, which has landed him in the position he's now in, which are the lies that have led us yep. to war after war after war. And the next one will be much, much worse if we allow it to go ahead. So um, justice for Assange is critical as a key element to preventing World War Three. Now, last week, last Friday, the, extradition, the appeal against being extradited to the USA was rejected by a British judge. And we, you and I both went to a snap rally that was held. And we can put some footage up in the background of your... Uh, speech that you gave to the rally of 30-odd people, which was just called at the last minute in front of the British consulate to was, protest this. I was given a megaphone so I could do my rants <laughs> in public, in the outside, in the outdoors with a megaphone. It was perfect. <laughs> and uh, we're putting out a media release today on this subject. There's a number of things that people can participate in, including uh, a rally tomorrow. Tomorrow morning. Uh, to, well, okay. By well, the time people are watching this, it will already happen. Mm, so mm. We, we record Friday morning. Saturday is the Victorian Labor Party's conference. It's at Mooney Valley in Melbourne. We're publicising it on the internet today, so hopefully people have gone along there. And there's an Assange anti-AUKUS, anti-war rally in front of that because Alba was supposed to be, the Prime Minister Albanese is supposed to be turning up to that um, ALP conference. And as you said, there's going to be an anti-AUKUS motion at the conference as well, yeah. right? Um, so we'll be there. And there's two shifts from 7 to 10 and 3 to 6 um, uh, to to uh, lay out the uh, the uh, importance of him acting, one of the things that I said in the speech, and if I, I I'll, I'll say it tomorrow, and it's in the press release, is um, the the extradition, uh, the, the the judge's decision last year, week to uh, to reject the extradition really does show you that we're being treated with contempt because we linked to an article by Craig Murray in today's press release, and people should we'll have the link below. People should look at it. Craig Murray shows that this particular judge, his name is Jonathan Swift, which is a, a travesty of justice. The great Jonathan Swift, the author of Gulliver's Travels, was a 15th, 16th, 17th century satirist who, who pilloried and skewered the British establishment like nobody else ever has. If you read all Jonathan Swift's travels, Gulliver's Travels in all the different countries, every time Swift is talking about the way the British establishment works, mm. right? And Gulliver's Travels itself is about war and... The, the ridiculousness of war, right, in Lilliput, where he goes between the big enders and the little enders and whatever, right? Um, so that's what the real Jonathan Swift was. There's a justice in, in the UK named Jonathan Swift who is a stooge for the government. He actually says, I think the executive and the judiciary should have um, total confidence in each other. And that's not, that's not the same as independence. The, the, the judiciary is supposed to be independent mm. of the executive, 
When he was a lawyer, he was a government lawyer before he became a judge, and he's, he's, he brags that his best clients were the intelligence services who he said they made sure they got their facts straight. Really? British intelligence, the author of the sexed up dossier of Saddam's going to be able to bomb us in 20 minutes or whatever, 45, the, minutes. 45 minutes, whatever the stupid claim was. They deliberately lied to start that war, right? This is the kind of stooge that was the judge that just ruled against Julian Assange. So that means it's a political decision. This is the, the British government that should be held to account by Elbow and the American government. And that's what we're calling for. It's, what, what we're saying is Elbow's been saying enough is enough, yeah. but enough is enough is not good enough. Right, he's got to do more. He must demand, he must size up our two allies and demand they free Assange, mm-hmm. or else he's going to die in America in a maximum security prison with a 150 year sentence on his head. And America's just going to ignore us. And the contrast to that is last week, Elbow goes to Vietnam. By the way, he was nice as pie with the Vietnamese. The communist dictatorship of it. They're a communist dictatorship. If you wanted to, you could sit there and do a checklist of horrible things the Vietnamese are, just like you do with China. Mm -hmm. But because we're trying to play divide and conquer on behalf of the Americans and split the Vietnamese away and and stoke up their their ancient enmity with China, he goes there nice as pie, kisses ass the whole time. Actually, I I shouldn't say that. He's not kissing ass. He's behaving like you're supposed to. If you can behave like that with the Vietnamese elbow and you can behave like you did with Modi when he was here, go and be nice to our biggest trading partner, please. Stop being the world's biggest, um, you know, poodle for the Americans by yep, 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 yep when it comes to China. Just be nice to them. Treat them normally. They are our biggest trading partner. You twit. Anyway, so he asked the Vietnamese, he he advocated on behalf of two Australians on death row in Vietnam because they were drug runners. And you know what the Vietnamese did? The president granted them clemency. <laughs> the, the communist dictatorship of Vietnam is more respectful and responsive to Albo than our allies, the British and American governments. <laughs> Let that sink in. Yeah, communists make better allies, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Uh, anyway, so there's a, also a rally next Friday night and also we'll put up the details for this. Again, anti-war, Assange, it's all one and the same. In, this is in Melbourne. It's at the town yeah. hall and you've got to book in advance. But if you're in Melbourne, go to that. But you can also look at the press release linked below uh, for the details. We want people to call their Member of Parliament, next send a message to Albanese's office. Yeah, the links are below. So next week they're in Canberra, right? Call your local Member of Parliament and say, look, I'm just wondering, you've got to tell Elbow he must do more. And there's a link to Elbow's portal. You can't contact Elbow anymore. But there's a portal there where you can put a message in. Make, you send a message to him. Make sure we flood that thing. And the other thing we're asking people to do is join delegations. And this is more long term. But if you want to be part of a delegation in your electorate to your member of parliament, where you get together with people in your electorate who also care about freedom for Assange, contact us and we will coordinate to put you in touch with other people who are contacting us from your electorate. And let's, over the next weeks and months, because this should have been dealt with by now, but I've got Mm. no confidence it will be, we can organise these delegations. And when the MP sees a delegation in their office, their foyer, of people on this issue, that sends a really powerful message. So participate Mm. in that as well. Now, um, part of one and the same subject, the economic NATO plan to isolate China. Uh, So we've got wind of the fact that... uh, former British Prime Minister, well, for 44 days that was, Liz Truss, <laughs> has been all over the world basically um, talking about, quote-unquote, economic NATO, using that exact language. Um, 
the most recent event she spoke at was in Taiwan and her visit there was the highest level visit of any British politician since former Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher was there. Um, and she, at that event, um, called for an economic... Well, actually, this was at a Japan event, so she also spoke uh, in Japan in February about economic NATO, where she called for an economic Article 5, where the one-for-all, all-for-one principle is wielded in defence of <coughs> fundamental values. Now, of course, she's referring to the way NATO operates, where if one member nation is attacked, all, all other nations are obliged... Yeah. To come in an and attack on one is them. attack on all, and they'll all respond to that attack. That's the ba- that's the core mm. of NATO, Article Five. So she's saying we can expand that, yeah, but in a, with, with an economic foundation first. Let's have an economic Article and it, Five again, playing into what you were saying about splitting away ASEAN countries from China and other. So they're trying to recruit uh, an effort to contain and surround and economically isolate China. She even called for a revival of the Cold War body called the Coordinating Committee for Multilateral Export Controls. This was the body during the Cold War which coordinated the economic blockade of the Soviet Union. So she wants to do this for China. Um, She discussed, she said, she went through some of the different um, uh, encircle, or um, what's the word, Uh, latticing operations, this is the term they use lately, latticing, where they have all these... So we can't recruit everyone to necessarily a global NATO, even though they talk about global NATO and that's what they are definitely pushing for. But at this stage, they're trying to bring together a... uh, interweaving different series of organisations that can work together and coordinate. So she said, we have NATO, we have the Indo-Pacific Quad, and there are various other discussion mechanisms. But fundamentally, she said, we need a more coordinated approach. We cannot pretend that we have meaningful deterrence without hard power. Um, She called for the G7 to act as an economic NATO, collectively defending our prosperity, that is that of the West. This was in a speech that she gave uh, to the City of London Mayor's Easter Banquet in 2022. And she's, she's talked about this using, you know, that, that term economic NATO, but other terms going back quite a few years. She talked about similar concepts. You can read the details about it in our Australian Alert Service in an article I wrote this week when she was uh, negotiating the trade arrangement between Australia and the UK, the free trade agreement. Uh, This is all in a post-Brexit push for what has been dubbed Global Britain or Empire 2.0. And part of the free trade agreement with Australia was about uh, gaining access for Britain to have bigger investment in Asia, a jumping-off point into Asia, Uh, and also to join the CPTPP, which they're now citing as one of the crucial elements of that economic NATO because China at this stage is not included in it, even though... And they're pushing, Trust is pushing for other countries to back their uh, push to not allow China to gain entry to that arrangement. Um, So anyway, she talked about incorporating NATO into this latticing of arrangements expansions of NATO such as NATO plus five which is Australia, New Zealand, Japan, South Korea and Israel and the US China Committee which is a anti-China House of Representatives committee is 
proposing to add India to that NATO plus arrangement. And that's already being used with countries like uh, Georgia and uh, Ukraine, that they can operate with NATO while not having to be formal members of NATO. So you've got NATO, expansions of NATO. She also referenced the G7, the Commonwealth of Nations and the Quad, which of course you know, involves India and Japan as well as ourselves. Um, and she talked about the need to keep strengthening our NATO alliance with bonds around the world, like the UK-led Joint Expeditionary Force. Now, that includes Denmark, Finland, Estonia, Iceland, Latvia, Lithuania, the Netherlands, Sweden and Norway. The Five Eyes, very importantly, she added, and the AUKUS Partnership. So again, all these latticing arrangements. She specified the expansion of ties with Japan, India and Indonesia. Lisa, um, one of the defining dynamics in the world, which most people aren't aware of, is how the arch-imperialists in Britain, who don't have an empire anymore per se, what they have is, in their own words, an informal financial empire. The, the British, the Union Jack came down on a lot of their colonial possessions, though some got sneaked up into the corner of a lot of, of, a lot of flags. <laughs> um, but the British mining companies, the British banks, etc., they stayed, right? And Britain has been... And, and, Britain and they grew in ways that were unimaginable to and them. They, and post-war, they deliberately set up what we call the offshore system, the mm, Cayman Islands right. and, and the British Virgin Islands, etc., where they basically the mo- modern forms of financial piracy go on through there where they're, li- they're, they're deliberately launching attacks against nation-states. And... Those arch-imperialists around the crown, around the aristocracy of the UK, who rig politics in their favour, they've never gotten over losing their position as the world's biggest empire, right? And they're constantly um, scheming how to get that back. And that's what this global Britain, um, British Empire 2.0 is all about. And as one of them, as, as it was once said, it's British brains and American brawn. Mm. They have this, they have this succubus attachment to the to the Americans. Mm-hmm. To, to they're, they're constantly trying to influence them to to do their bidding for them, and whispering in their ear. Or we, we compare it like Iago and Otello in mm. in, um, in Shakespeare's play, right? Um, where the British are uh, Iago, and they are scheming to do the unthinkable. And the unthinkable in this case is decoupling. This economic NATO means decoupling from China. Now, at the time of the Cold War, there was a decoupling between the, the communist side and, the, and the, uh, the, the, uh, the non-communist side, but the Soviet Union and China were not big, powerful economies, right? China is now the biggest trading partner of pretty much every nation on earth. Hmm. And back in 2020, one of the stooges of this agenda in Australia, Andrew Hastie, a, a, a member of parliament for Western Australia... Australia as a nation relies completely on our trade with China. Western Australia as a state relies more than any other part of us. And he was distributing propaganda for this outfit called the Henry Jackson Society, Mm. calling for that, calling for this economic decoupling from China. And every sane person in Australia should have said, you're mad, mate, get out of here, Mm. right? This will have enormous consequences and all because, as Paul Keating said, the the British thought they could... When, when they were, when they thought they would be able to influence China in their way, they couldn't outsource quickly enough to them and create this economic dependency on China. But now that China is not towing their line, 
right? It's not going along with their way, way of running the world. Is very defensive of its sovereignty. They're trying to now blow the whole thing up. And again, it's us who are going to, not them, us who are going to suffer the most from doing this, mm. right? Because we are allowing ourselves to be stooges for this you know, British imperial agenda. So see through it for what it is and... Yeah, we've got to we've got to make our own decisions as a nation, mm. and say what's in our interests. And as our friend from the Maori Party in New Zealand said, we're not in Europe; we're in the South Pacific. This is our we're in, we're in the Asian part of the world. Yep, that's in our interest, not this old imperial model, which is going to yep. kill us all eventually. We're, we're not going to fight wars on foreign lands for yep. foreign causes. Yeah, very clear. So. Participate in any way you can in the things we've um, promoted in today's show in, that are you know registered there in the links below. In terms of you know if you show up to one of these Assange rallies or write to your the Prime Minister or MP, this is all a key flank to yep. stop World War Three to get Australia's sovereignty and our economy back on track. Do all of it, especially um, next week. Make those calls. And send those messages to Albanese yeah. uh, and, as the link show. And finally, um, we'll put a link too to the new website for our campaign for Jan for Fadden, which is the yep. by-election we're running in, in Queensland on the Gold Coast. Because, again, that's another way, another flank we can get these ideas out there and how you can participate. But if you don't know how you can participate, give us a call on our toll-free number and we can link you in somehow. So that's the show for this week. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for tuning in and see you again next week. Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.